At eight o'clock, the jail bell tolled out and the procession was formed in the usual order, the governor of the jail and the under-sheriffs leading and the prisoner following, preceded by the reverend chaplain reading the burial service. Having arrived at the press room, Calcraft, the executioner, was found waiting. On proceeding up the steps to the scaffold, Meadows whispered to Calcroft, Do it quickly. To which he received a reply, I will not be a minute. He was then pinioned and his irons were taken off. During the whole of these preparations, the culprit maintained the most remarkable composure and at the given signal rose from his seat without the slightest assistance and walked firmly to the drop. The executioner then placed Meadows under the drop with his back to the crowd and proceeded to draw a nightcap over his head and arrange the fatal noose. This was the work of a moment, and Calcroft immediately descended and amid the most profound silence drew the bolt and the wretched man was launched into eternity. A hoarse murmur was the only exhibition of public feeling. A few movements of the limbs, and all was over. That was the end of Joseph Meadows, as told in the newsprint of 1855, hanged for willful murder. After committing his crime, Meadows declared, I've had my revenge. I've heard them say revenge is sweet. I left home for that purpose. I've done it. And now I am satisfied. So let me tell you about the satisfaction of Joseph Meadows. I'm Tony Robinson, and you're listening to It's About Time. committed the most dreadful deed that man can be guilty of against God and you all, and especially against one that was a most kind and affectionate sister to all of you. I believe it has caused many an aching heart. Those are the words of Joseph Meadows, 23, written before he was hanged at Worcester Jail. Yet no matter the regret he came to feel for his crime, the words on the gravestone of his victim will forever read to the memory of Mary Ann Mason who was murdered by Joseph Meadows on the 12th of May 1855 aged 17 years. On the 11th of May 1855 Mary Ann Mason was very much alive and well. Well I say well I should probably sketch out what life was like in Dudley at that time. This was Industrial Revolution Britain, when the country had undergone a massive amount of social and economic change. That was no different in Dudley. Having been a pretty simple Midlands town of around 10,000 people in 1800, its population had more than trebled by the end of the century. 
Thousands flocked there with the hope of landing jobs in the factories and coal pits of the day. This massive rise in population did not, however, see Dudley's inhabitants enjoy more prosperous lives, except, of course, for those at the very top of the food chain. Heavily industrialised and consumed by poverty, disease in the filthy streets was rampant, while gruelling industrial work and conditions took their toll on the working population. Clean water, sanitation and drainage were distinctly lacking. Cholera and tuberculosis were running wild. In fact, an 1852 report by a government health inspector by the name of William Lee said, In no other part of England and Wales is the work of human extermination affected in so short a time as in the district surrounding Dudley, and in no other part even of that district is the time so short as in the parish of Dudley. So far as the duration of life, therefore, is concerned, Dudley is the most unhealthy place in the country. Such were the conditions. Life expectancy was only 18 years of age, although Mary Ann didn't even get that far. This was the industrial environment in which the Sailor's Return Public House at Cates Hill in Dudley played a key leisure role, and it's where Mary Ann worked as a servant. That's where she was on Friday the 11th of May, 1855, alive and well, as I said, for the time being. William and Mary Hunt ran the Sailor's Return. As they got to know Mary Ann, they noticed that she was particularly quiet when her brother visited the pub, practically ignoring his presence. Her brother, Joseph Mason, spent the evening in the pub that Friday, the evening before Mary Ann was killed. She barely said a word to him that night. He just sat at the bar drinking before stumbling home a few hours after midnight to sleep it off. Or so you may have thought. It wouldn't be long before Joseph Mason was back at the sailor's return. Just before seven in the morning, the morning after the night before, he was served an ale and he sat and watched Mary Ann as she mopped the floor of the kitchen. And again she ignored her brother, not saying a word to him as he brooded at the bar. Landlady Mary Hunt, who had been helping her servant clean the floor, left the room for just a moment. And that was a fateful moment indeed. She came back to a harrowing scene. To her horror, she saw that Joseph was holding a short carbine rifle, which looked almost like a sawn-off shotgun. He raised it up in the air in front of him, raising it to point directly at his sister. There was no slow motion or explanation. Mary Hunt didn't have time to shout a warning. Before there was a blinding flash and a loud shot, and young Mary Ann fell to the floor. Joseph dropped the gun as pub landlord William Hunt, Mary's husband, rushed into the room, grabbing the shooter by the collar and shouting, You vagabond! You've shot your own sister! But came the shooter's reply, I've done what I intended to do. Because he wasn't Joseph Mason at all. Far from being Mary Ann's brother, he was her lover, Joseph Meadows. 
After the break, was happiness or satisfaction a warm gun? It's About Time is sponsored by Ancestry. Discover your family history within the billions of records on the Ancestry website and take the Ancestry DNA test to learn more about who you are today with details like your ethnic makeup and relatives you never knew existed. Listeners of this podcast can enjoy free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. Just visit www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA. That's www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA for free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. So you can start your Ancestry DNA journey today. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid until the 24th of November, 2016. Joseph Meadows' final words were to his executioner. Do it quickly. The executioner obliged. If Marianne Mason had any last words, she couldn't speak them. According to Mary Hunt's testimony at the trial, Marianne breathed for 15 minutes and died. It was a silent, painful death. The surgeon who rushed to the scene at the sailor's return, a Mr Johnson of Dudley, reported that she died soon after his arrival, bleeding to death. Mr Johnson's post-mortem examination revealed that Mary Ann's ear had been shot nearly clean off, opening veins and arteries in the side of her neck. She had fractured bones in her face and jaw, and the nerves in her tongue had been damaged, preventing her from speaking as she died. The inquest concluded that her death had resulted from blood loss due to gunshot wounds. The coroner's jury agreed. So while Meadows was arrested and charged with shooting the deceased early in the morning on May the 12th, a few hours later the charge was elevated to one of willful murder. And there was no doubt about the will behind it. It was to the arresting officer of all people, a constable Dukes, that Meadows plainly stated he had set out for revenge, declaring, Now I am satisfied. But revenge for what? Well, it was Constable Dukes who was first to be told of the true nature of their relationship. Meadows called foul on the sibling story. Dukes related at the trial. On the way to prison, he said, It's not my sister, it's a young woman I've followed for about ten months. I was determined if I could not have her, nobody else could. I pulled the carbine from behind my back and fired it off in an instant. I threw it down to pick the girl up, but was prevented. Meadows was prevented by pub landlord William Hunt, who had grabbed him by the scruff of the neck when he ran into the room. The gun was picked up by one William Robinson, another customer present at the sailor's return. Yes, that's another witness. And there was one more, a man by the name of William Ingram, who told Meadows' trial that he had seen it all happen, Meadows shooting Mary Ann from a distance of just six or seven feet right in the middle of the room, point-blank range, even accounting for the scatter of the gun. But where did he get the deadly weapon? 
Well, remember when Meadows was first thought to have stumbled home from the sailor's return? He did actually stumble home. Meadows, a tinsmith, was let in by his master, a man called Joseph Ran, and left to sleep off his skin full of drink, but there was no sign of him the next morning. Nor was there any sign of the carbine Ran kept in the house. Meadows had gone fatefully to the sailor's return with a deadly weapon. And that was that. Meadows had shot Mary Ann Mason and was seen with a smoking gun in his hand, a gun confirmed as stolen from his master, crucially a sign of premeditation. His victim downed in front of him a room full of witnesses, witnesses either less drunk than him or not at all, a confession of motive, of malice, of revenge and of satisfaction at the deed. It took the jury only five minutes to deliver a verdict. Guilty. The judge, Chief Justice Baron Pollock, said the case was one of the clearest that had ever come before a criminal court and that all the evidence indicated the murder was not a crime of passion but a premeditated action. Before his trial, Meadows was visited by family, his brother, two cousins and an uncle. Afterwards, he wrote to them and asked them not to come again. They didn't. He wrote to Mary Ann's family. That was where the catharsis came. He and Mary Ann had, he said, been very much in love. The story of them being siblings was concocted, as she didn't think her parents would have approved of their relationship. But that lie would be their undoing. Suspicion and jealousy, along with large doses of alcohol, had taken their toll. He'd been driven mad by the attention that other male customers at the sailor's return had paid to the object of his affection. Imagining infidelity, his drunken mind raced and he sought to claim Mary Ann as his own. Far too late, he regretted his actions and the satisfaction of Joseph Meadows was short-lived. And the letter to Mary Ann's family is from where these words came. I know I have committed the most dreadful deed that man can be guilty of against God and you all, and especially against one that was a most kind and affectionate sister to all of you. I believe it has caused many an aching heart. William Robinson, the witness who picked up the murder weapon after the fatal shot was fired at the sailor's return, mentioned one more detail. On picking up the gun, he told the court that Meadows said... She should have given me an answer. We'll never know what the question was. Did Meadows ask about those imagined infidelities when Mary Hunt was out of the room? Did he want to do away with the sibling lie and be free? Was it a marriage proposal? Or did he ask her to run away with him for a new life? What we do know is that Joseph Meadows didn't get the answer he wanted from Mary Ann Mason. Or not judging by what happened next, anyway. In love, Meadows wasn't satisfied at all. Thanks for listening to It's About Time with me, Tony Robinson. 
It's About Time is brought to you by Ancestry, the leader in family history and consumer genomics. Thanks to them for all their help in putting this episode together. If you liked It's About Time, please make sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you subscribe, new episodes will download automatically. And if you let us know how much you like it, we'll bring you some more. Don't hesitate to tell a friend, tell Twitter, tell Facebook, tell your postman. Until next time, goodbye. It's About Time is sponsored by Ancestry. Discover your family history within the billions of records on the Ancestry website and take the Ancestry DNA test to learn more about who you are today with details like your ethnic makeup and relatives you never knew existed. Listeners of this podcast can enjoy free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. Just visit www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA. That's www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA for free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. So you can start your Ancestry DNA journey today. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid until the 24th of November 2016.